Mark 2 would have been a lot different if the Pharisees had come to at 9 and uh, learned about resolving everyday conflict and uh, understood what idols are a little better. A short review. In the beginning of Mark 2, Jesus met the paralyzed man's greatest need, forgiveness of sin. Then he healed the man's paralysis, which probably what the man and his friends thought was his greatest need. He showed the scribes and the others who were there that he was truly God. That he was the one and the only one who could forgive sin and heal paralysis. Mark says they were all amazed and glorified God. They said, we've never seen anything like this. Last week, we saw Jesus call a hated tax collector to follow him. Then he ate a meal with more tax collectors and other sinners. To the scribes who questioned how could he do such a horrible thing, associating with such terrible people, Jesus said again, I came to call sinners. Please turn to Mark 2, verse 18. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for your great love for us. Open our eyes to see your love, to understand the depth of our need for you. And Lord, help us not to be hindrances for others to see our Savior. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Mark 2, 18. Now Jesus' disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. 
And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again, he began to teach. I skipped two pages. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Back to verse, to chapter 2, verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Of course, we recognize John's disciples as being those of John the Baptist. But who are the Pharisees? In chapter 2, verse 6, we saw the scribes, and we were told two weeks ago that the scribes were religious lawyers who studied, copied, explained the scripture. They were the religious experts. In 2.16, last week, we saw the scribes of the Pharisees. And we were told the Pharisees seek righteousness in the wrong way. Let's take a little deeper look and see why we're John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees in the same sentence. Now, over the last two weeks, during the message, during the week after the message, have you thought, could I be a Pharisee? Now, two weeks ago, I was in the nursery and I, uh, I missed some of the message. One of the beauties of technology, I was able to watch the message again and catch the whole thing. I, I would have missed some important things if all I got was what I heard in the nursery. However, both times, I felt a little convicted. Boy, those Pharisees, they sound a little bit like me. Last week, the same. We were gone, and uh, so I was able to catch the message on Tuesday or Wednesday, and uh, I should not have done that. I saw more of myself in those Pharisees. 
We're a lot like the Pharisees, and that can be a good thing. We love God's word, and we want to follow it. We want to understand it and obey it. We want others to understand who God is and to worship him. We want to be holy and separate from sin. In fact, the word Pharisee probably comes from the Hebrew root word meaning separate. What did the Pharisees separate from? Well, they separated from the Gentiles. Got to stay away from those bad people. From non-religious Jews. Those people will bring you down. Anything that make you unclean. I mean, you got to be spotless. Pastor Preston read uh, Psalm 1-1 last week. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Some of, that, some of us heard that verse and the rest of the passage yesterday at uh, Carl Hansen's celebration of life service. Carl was a blessed man. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 22.24-25 says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. If you come to CBC 101 and uh, remind ourselves of the Baptist distinctives, S for separation, we are to be in the world and not of it. To the person who says, let us eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Paul continues, wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Yes, Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. Little reminder from Acts 23 6, where Paul cries out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, son of Pharisees. See also Philippians 3 5 and 6, where he tells us again that he was a Pharisee. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. John 3 1. Remember, Nicodemus came to see Jesus at night to find out more about who Jesus was. Gamaliel was a Pharisee. I know some of you are saying, who? In Acts 5.34, at the council meeting, where they were trying to decide what to do with Peter and John, we're told he was a leader of the law held in honor by all the people. Gamaliel said... Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. In verse 38, he says, keep away from these men 
and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. This is Gamaliel, who Paul says in Acts 22, verse 3, was his teacher. Paul says that he, Paul, was brought up according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. So why do we teach our children, I don't want to be a Pharisee, because they're not fair, you see. Instead of, I want to be a Pharisee because they're such, so good at following God. I don't have to remind you that Paul, Saul at the time, being zealous for God, was persecuting Christians. Apparently he was out of the influence of Gamaliel who said, stay away from them or you'll find yourself opposing God. When, when Jesus had to open Paul's eyes and say, Paul, why do you keep kicking against the, the pricks here? Why do you keep going against the God you say you're, you're worshiping? Why did Jesus call them hypocrites, blind Blind guides, whitewashed tombs. You can find three of those four words in Matthew 23. If we're like some of the Pharisees in their good characteristics, are we also like them in their bad ones? Do we feel superior to other people? Are we more concerned with looking right than loving people? Do we have our actions and our behavior in line, modified to make people think we're righteous while our hearts are far from God? Do we think that we are righteous? You, like Guy, said a prayer. We ask Jesus to forgive our sins and to save us. He did. And now God doesn't see our sin because he sees Christ's righteousness and counts us as righteous. So we are, right? Those are true statements. And we must never, ever, ever forget them. We are righteous because of Christ. But we must also never forget our continuing sin will get between us and our God and between us and other people. 1 John 1.9 was written to encourage us when Satan comes and accuses us. You guys are failures. You still belong to me. No, we don't. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it was also written to remind us that 
Confession of sin was not a one-time deal. Well, I said that prayer. I confessed. I asked for forgiveness. If we don't recognize our sin for what it is, a horrible affront to our God, we run the danger of becoming self-righteous, arrogant, and of no value to God's kingdom. We'll learn more about the Pharisees in chapter 7. As I said, it would have been different if the Pharisees had taken a class on idols and learned to truly find their sufficiency in, in God. Okay, back to Mark 2. And the Pharisees and John's disciples were both fasting. To answer my first question about how do we get these two groups in the same place, in the same sentence, well, they were doing something good. They were fasting. What is fasting? Well, we all know that. Um, fasting is what we do every night. And every morning we break it, right? Fasting is sometimes not eating food, sometimes not eating drink, not... Uh... How often did the Pharisees fast? If you said once a year, that was the requirement of the Mosaic Law. In fact, Jews just observed uh, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, last Sunday, Sunday night through Monday. But the Pharisees in Jesus' time fasted two days every week, Mondays and Thursdays. To be more precise, this may have been a period of months during the year, not the whole year. But in Mark 2, they are fasting, as are John's disciples, and Jesus' disciples are not. Someone asks, why are we fasting? And why aren't you? Now, I'm not sure if they were asking two questions or just one. But I think we have to ask, well, why were they fasting? Some people don't eat because they don't have food. Or money to buy food. Some people fast for health reasons. Intermittent fasting is quite popular today. These people were fasting for religious reasons. And that religious could be in quotes, perhaps. Religion on the outside, hearts far from. These were not pagans who fasted to keep demons out of their mouths or to have an ecstatic experience. I learned a new word a couple of weeks ago and I just have to share it. Can't resist. Apotropaic. Here it is in a sentence. The custom of the fast for mourning had atrop, atro, you know, you know, right there, apotropaic significance. 
Okay, I partially learned it. What does it mean? It means supposedly having the power to avert evil influences or bad luck. Of course, we don't believe in those things, or do we? How sad that people would be afraid to open their mouths to eat or drink because they thought that demons would get into their mouths. They didn't find their sufficiency in God. Fasting focuses our attention. The longer you go, the more attention it becomes, doesn't it? I think there is a point where it stops, but uh, whether we are fasting because we are sad or because we are repentant or um, because we are seeking God's answer, fasting is about submitting to God, recognizing that our sufficiency is in him. I want to remind you that Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights on the top of Mount Sinai while God was giving him the Ten Commandments. I'll forgive you if you had forgotten that. So had I. And Daniel fasted and prayed when he was reading Jeremiah and remembered that wait a minute, the 70 years of captivity is about done. David fasted when his son was, was sick and uh, he was praying for God to, to, to heal his son. Exodus 34, Daniel 9, 2 Samuel 12. Go back and read those passages. Remind yourselves. Fasting is the right thing. John's disciples might have been religious Jews who fasted regularly before they met John the Baptist. But I'm pretty sure that now they were fasting to show their repentance and their desire to follow God. The Pharisees fasted because of tradition and to show others that they were pious and religious. What was Jesus' answer to why his disciples were not fasting? First, he asked if the wedding guests can fast while the bridegroom is with them. We have to go back to the History Channel for another moment. A wedding could, would last for five to seven days. And those two times a week fasting, those were set aside for a wedding. A wedding is a time of joy, not a time of mourning. Jesus knew the answer to the question when he asked it. 
Then in verse 20, he says, But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they then they will fast in that day. First, he's calling himself the bridegroom, and his disciples, the guests. Later, as Pastor John mentioned, he'll refer to himself as the bridegroom and his church as the bride. That's a lot closer than the guests. When he says that the bridegroom will be taken away, he's foreshadowing that he is going to die. And after he's raised from the dead, he's going to be taken away from them to heaven. The disciples would mourn when he was killed. And they would fast and pray when he returned to heaven. It's appropriate for us to fast and to pray until he returns. Jesus didn't explain fasting in this passage. He then gives a couple more examples to show that the way that people relate to God is changed because of him. He had not come just to reform Judaism, but he had come to reveal truths that up till now had not been revealed. He said, you don't put a new patch on old cloth. The patch would shrink and tear the cloth. The tear would be bigger than it was before. You don't put new wine into old wineskins. That new wine, as it ferments, it will expand and it'll burst those wineskins. The wine will spill out and be lost. New wine needed new wineskin. My main point. This might not be everyone's main point. Jesus, the Son of God, who was the Messiah, couldn't be fit into the religion of the Pharisees. He couldn't even fit into the new understanding of John the Baptist's disciples. God would have to open people's eyes for them to understand and take hold of the truth of who he was and his great love for them. Have your eyes been opened? Have my eyes been opened? Have you believed that Jesus is the Son of God? The perfect one who loved you so much that he came and died to pay the penalty of your sins. Who rose again to have victory over sin and death. Don't be a piece of old cloth or an old wineskin. You need to be a new creation. Mark 2, 23. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? What were the disciples doing? They were walking through a field, And they were picking some grains as they walked, and presumably they were eating it. Was that okay? Is that okay to do? Just walk through somebody's grain field and eat their grain? 
Deuteronomy 23, verses 24 and 25 say, If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. You were allowed to pick grain to put in your mouth and eat. You weren't allowed to fill your pockets or fill a sack to take home. The ladies who are studying Ruth could tell you a little more about another uh, time with you could pick grain at the harvest time. Going through the field after the workers, picking up what they missed. Picking, uh, was this wrong on the Sabbath? Because they were walking on the Sabbath. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, how did the Pharisees see it? They saw picking grain as harvesting. They saw rubbing the kernels in your hand together as threshing. They saw blowing the chaff out of your hands as winnowing. To them, that was all work, which wasn't allowed on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day of what? Rest. Back in chapter 1, when we first heard about Jesus and the Sabbath, we heard Jesus was speaking, and the people were amazed at his authoritative teaching. We've never heard someone like this. Then he went to Peter's house where Peter's mother-in-law was sick and he healed her. And then we're told at sundown, the end of the Sabbath, the people came to be healed by this amazing man. But they waited until the end of the Sabbath. It says the whole city was gathered at his door after sundown. The Pharisees had taught them well. How did Jesus see it? Well, Jesus didn't say to the Pharisees, why are you walking around on the Sabbath following us to see what we're doing? Jesus used scripture to answer the Pharisees. He recalled David, who was fleeing for his life from Saul. 1 Samuel 21. David went to the tabernacle and he asked the priest for bread for himself and for the men with him. The only bread was the bread in, of the presence, the bread in the holy place, which was only for the priests. The priest gave it to David. Why? Because life was more important than the law. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man's benefit, not for man's curse. He also revealed something about himself, that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. He had authority to determine what could be done on a day or another day. 
The Pharisees might not have gotten the comparison between David and his men and Jesus and his disciples. I have a feeling even his disciples wouldn't have gotten it, except Jesus probably told them afterwards. But we can see it clearly. David and his men, a much greater son of David and his disciples in Mark. Main point number two, Jesus, the creator of days and nights, has authority over them. Do we worship the creator? Or are we ruled by that which he created? Do we give our honor to him? Or do we idolize the stuff that we've made? I could do a real rewrite after at nine this morning on this one. We often talk about idols and we ask the question, you know, what, what are the idols in your life? And, uh, and a lot of times I think we go for um, the obvious things that are idols in someone else's life. Um, it's a good avoidance thing to us to not identify the things that we crave, the things that take control of our lives, things that even cause us to sin in order to get those things that we crave. Mark 3, 1. Jesus now is again in the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. What exactly does that mean? I read that this word withered has all kinds of negative connotations and is used in all kinds of ways to just belittle somebody. But I think he just physically had a deformed hand. Possibly he would have been an outcast. We heard about the lepers a few weeks ago. Was he normally in the service or was this a special thing? In verse 2 it says, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him. It's possible that they planted him there specifically to make an occasion. So that they might accuse him. Who is they? Well, we, I'm going to assume the Pharisees since that's who were, was before and that's who we're going to have in verse 6. So maybe everyone was watching because... Okay, he's done all these other things. Can he do this? Jesus wasn't going to stop healing just because somebody was watching with a critical eye. Jesus asked, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Jesus knew what the Pharisees were thinking. He knew the setup here. 
But they were silent. Why were they silent? Why wouldn't they answer? Because they knew they would look bad. Either they knew that they were actually in the wrong, or at least the people would think that they were as cold-hearted as they were. They were the experts who knew the law, especially knew the law as they interpreted it. Supposedly, they wanted people to obey it. Why wouldn't they declare it right here? What's right and what's wrong? They didn't want to admit that Jesus was right. Why did that make Jesus angry? It had to be righteous anger, right? Because it was Jesus. The Pharisees were doing what Gamaliel would later tell them not to do, opposing God. Rather than leading the people to God, they were getting in the way. Did Jesus healing the man violate the, the Sabbath in any way? How did Jesus heal the man? Did he touch him? Did he lift him? Did he... He said a word. Stretch out your hand. So if he didn't do anything wrong, why were the Pharisees so mad? Mad enough to want to kill him. They saw Jesus as a threat to their authority in the synagogue. The people were amazed by Jesus. We're not told they were ever amazed by the Pharisees. The Pharisees saw Jesus as a threat to their credibility. Jesus was telling people that the Pharisees had misled them. They couldn't abide Jesus. Now, who were these Herodians who they conspired with? They were people who sided with Herod, who had his authority from the Romans. Of course, we already know that the Jews were looking for a Messiah who would free them from this terrible tyranny of the Romans. So the Herodians were probably not looking for a Messiah to come. Were the Pharisees? You can say it out loud, that's okay. This is not a group that you would expect the Pharisees normally to be hanging out with. It's a little reminder that sometimes making friends with your enemies because they're the enemies of your enemies becomes your friend, that whole thing, not a good idea. In Acts 13, 1, were introduced to the leaders of the church in Antioch who would very shortly be sending out Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. It says Manaean was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. It doesn't say he was a Rhodian, but uh, he very well may have been an, 
an Herodian before God called him, and he responded in faith. A little reminder there, God uses people from all groups, right? Main point number three, being in opposition to God grieves him. Do, do we want what Christ wants? Jesus cared about others. Do I? Are we grieving Jesus because we have broken relationships with each other? As we prepare to take communion, I want us to pause. Ask Jesus, am I getting in your way? Am I doing stuff that's hurting your purpose of the kingdom? Am I not doing things that I need to be doing to further your kingdom? Is there something that's hindering our relationship with others, which then is hindering our relationship with him?